0: where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Thursday, January 23rd, we are studying Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 37. As Jesus continues to expound upon his law in the Sermon on the Mount, he turns next to matters of marriage and speech, as he teaches his disciples what it means to live as his salt and light in this world. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Mark Bars. Pastor Bars serves at Crown of Life Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas. Pastor Bars, welcome back to Sharper Iron.
1: Good morning, Pastor Apple. Great to be here.
0: Pastor Bars, as we get started this morning, give us some, some context within the Sermon on the Mount, within Matthew's Gospel as a whole, that will help us into the text for today.
1: I would be glad to. So the Sermon on the Mount is chapters 5, 6, and 7 of uh, Matthew's Gospel. Uh, Just a little bit of an aside, when I was in Israel just over, well, about two and a half years ago, when I visited this northwestern corner of the Sea of Galilee, there's a lot of commotion in some of these places and a lot of tourists. And I chose to take my Bible and find as quiet of a place as I could and read the entire Sermon on the Mount uh, and reflect on it So this is an opportune time For me to reflect again So Jesus has begun with the Beatitudes And after the Beatitudes Salt and light The salt of the earth, the light of the world But this section That we're looking at today Actually began back at verse 17 With those words Do not think that I have come to abolish The law or the prophets I have not come to abolish them To fulfill them And what we have then are six different sayings where Jesus contrasts sometimes directly the Old Testament, but sometimes and and more frequently the rabbinic understanding or teaching about one of the aspects of the Mosaic law. And then he says, but I say to you. One of the commentators, Jeff Gibbs, who has been a longtime professor at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, he renders that phrase to get the emphasis, but I myself am saying to you. So there's, there's the contrast between what you have heard, you have heard that it was said, but I myself am saying to you. So you've already discussed some of this. And you've presented some of this with your, with your previous guest, uh, but today we're picking up in the in the second specific events in this in this sequence
0: you you highlighted those words but i say to you and and we talked a little bit about this yesterday but we didn't really dig in why why are those words so significant here
1: sure well one of the things is is that it would be improperly understood that that Jesus is saying, I'm canceling out anything you've heard before, and now listen to me. Well, it's clear that that Jesus does speak with a voice of authority. Uh, The very closing of the Gospel of Matthew, when he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, it is observed in in different places in the Synoptic Gospels that this man is different. He speaks with authority. However, for for us to for us to assert that he is uh, canceling out anything else in Scripture would not be the right idea. It's really that he is presenting to his disciples, those first hearers, hearers two thousand years later of the Word, the the true intent, the the full meaning of the Law of Moses. He speaks of that that the that the Word of God, or my words will not pass away, not an iota or a jot will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. He, he looks back. He looks forward as well. Uh, throughout the Sermon on the Mount, it's clear that, that he, is, he is presenting this to his first disciples, to his church then and to his church now, but saying, know where this is going, know where I am going. Follow me, clearly. I mean, he says that over and over again in Matthew but follow me ultimately to where this will be fulfilled, and it will be fulfilled when He does do His acts of salvation, specifically His cross, His resurrection, and His ascension. These will these will then fill up, fulfill all that the Law and the Prophets have said.
0: That, that's an important understanding as we go through the Sermon on the Mount, because it is very easy, I think, to just pull these verses out and, and moralize them. Just, just make them sort of rules that you have to follow, but rather to keep the focus on Christ. And I, I think, I mean, there's several, what what you've said does that and, and keeping the Beatitudes in mind as a, our first guest on, on the Beatitudes talked about the Beatitudes as a, a doorway into the sermon and to keep that blessing mm-hmm. that Jesus gives, which is fulfilled in his cross. I mean, we have to keep that in mind or, or the teaching, that we saw yesterday, the teaching that we're going to see today, and, and the next couple of days in these these six sections, as you pointed out, it's it's going to drive us to despair if we don't keep Jesus and His cross in as the center of it, as, as we know that it is.
1: Absolutely, and and it, it's it's so easy to do that. Whether. Whether it is done purposefully or not, it is so easy to present it that way, and it's sometimes so easy to hear it that way. Uh, I think we, as, as Lutheran Christians, have something to offer when we use our first, second, and third uses of the law, and and that might be a good template to put on top of the Sermon on the Mount. You know, where where does he speak, Curb? Where, where is this holding back the... The evil and the out of control, the chaos that is in our broken world. When when is this mirror, and, and when does he reveal to us? Uh, certainly, when we look at some of the sections today, it will clearly be mirror. But then, how will it how will it become rule or ruler? How will it become guide when we who have confessed our sins have heard the gracious word of forgiveness, and then and then are set free uh, to live as these new people of God to be salt and to be light, to be followers of, followers of Christ in this world, what will it look like? How will it, what does it look like in terms of lust, in terms of divorce and marriage, in terms of how we speak and the oaths we, we, we take or don't take and the truthfulness that, that people would hear from, from the voice of those who, who follow Christ?
0: And, and all three of those, I think, are going to, to come into play. Sometimes we're not going to be able to maybe nail it down as, as precisely as we like. It, it's going to perhaps depend on where the hearer is in, in terms of how they're going to hear these. Is it going to hit them as that, that first use where it just curbs them from, from doing the evil that they would have otherwise done? Or the, the second use is always going to be happening. And that, that's, you just can't avoid the accusatory nature of the law. And, and then it, it will, as, as Christians, it, it will start to, to function as a guide as well. And so depending on where you are, it, it may do one or, or all of those things at, at different times, maybe not always precise, as, as I know I, in my mind, like to draw it out, but, but that, that, that is all going to happen. So with that, let's go ahead and, and read the text for today. we got Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 27. Jesus continues, You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. That's Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 37, our text for the morning. So, Pastor Barth, Jesus starts with those words, You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. And he, he quotes the Sixth Commandment as, as we number them in our catechism. Mm-hmm. What's What's the contrast that he's offering here when he says, you've heard this, but I say to you.
1: Well, what what Jesus does was as radical then as it is now in how he takes it away from what could be narrowly understood as a physical action, and he says, this is about your heart. This is about what is on the inside of you Later on in this gospel uh, In Matthew chapter 15 There will be a section of language Where Jesus speaks of what comes out of the heart And what makes us clean It's not what we eat or what we touch But it's, it's the impurities of our, own, of our own sinful hearts So what, what he says then Very clearly Is that yes Adultery You shall not commit adultery but to look at a woman, and this is the English Standard Version, with lustful intent um, to, to imagine, to, to look at a woman not as a, a creation of God and as a sister in Christ, but as an object for my lust, to, to let my eyes wander and then my, my imagination wander, uh, my heart has already committed a sin as much as if i had taken my clothes off with her and had sexual intercourse it's just as it's just as much it's just as serious it's just as real it needs to be identified it needs to be confessed in and it needs to be a, a way in which going back to the salt and light that uh, the people of god can live differently than our world would live. If we imagine now that this is so much harder because of the forms of communication we have uh, from television to the internet, to our smartphones, yeah, it was just as true for Jesus to say this in the first century, that, that there were wandering eyes and hearts that then wandered in following the eyes. And, and Jesus says, this is sin. This is This is adultery. This is sexual unfaithfulness.
0: So a very similar move, then, is made here by Jesus as to what he did with the fifth commandment in the previous text. There he, he quotes the commandment, you shall not murder, and he says, you've already broken that with the anger that's in your heart. Here he does the same thing with the sixth commandment, you shall not commit adultery, you've already broken that with the lust. That's been there in your heart. It's it's the same move that in God's sight, the sin starts there. And and that sin needs to be confessed. As we pointed out yesterday, that doesn't mean then that you should take what's in your heart, thinking, well, I've already sinned in my heart, so I I might as well act upon it. That mm. Jesus wouldn't had you have you that make that move because that will hurt your neighbor more. But, but to, to recognize that what has happened there in your heart, that already is sin. And so it's, it's a very similar move that Jesus is making, but now he's applying it to, to the matter of, of marriage. right I mean, and that's, that's where, and I know we're going to talk in a bit about divorce, but at least when I, when I think about the Sixth Commandment and, and teach the Sixth Commandment, that's where I like to start, is what, what's the good thing that God wants us to have? And that's that's marriage, and that's why all of this matters. The matter of lust, the matter of adultery, all this matters because marriage is so wonderful, right?
1: And it's it, it certainly it's certainly something that we not just the church of our age of our time uh, needs to say, but but for many for many centuries for, for different reasons that that we uh, not simply because we're first article. Uh, people, because we know that this is part of God's good creation, our sexuality, uh, the confusion in our culture, in our world now about so many issues about sexuality. But the church needs to say and needs to teach and, and, and needs to model that, that sexuality is God's good gift. And yet, uh, going back to the first use of the law, uh, th- there are curbs on that. There are curbs for those who are married as well as for those who are unmarried. In in this part of the Sermon on the Mount, he doesn't say it's a married man who looks at a woman who's not his wife, although it could be. But it it could be any man, it could be a, a man of any age. It could be one who is married or or one or one who is single. This is this is a, a little bit. I, I'm kind of pulling myself back to it. A, a thought that I think connects with this, Pastor Apple, is how we then speak this or, or strive to speak this in, in corporate worship. In our Lutheran service book, each of the five divine services, different templates for how, how we can express our worship and do, as we receive God's gifts, but each one of them at least has the option to say, we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. And, and so much of our world would, would deny that the thoughts or the desires are even sinful because nobody saw it. Nobody knew it. I, I didn't even act on it. Oh, I maybe shouldn't have had that lustful thought or that anger towards my brother, uh, whatever it may, may be, but thoughts, words, and deeds. And, and that's what we confess, and that's what we are forgiven as well that's what we we receive an absolution whether in corporate absolution on a Sunday morning or in individual confession and absolution to to receive forgiveness for that which is not just a word spoken or a deed a deed done but the thoughts of our hearts those that are so in this sp- specific situation this specific ca- text uh, the sin of lust is is to be confessed and owned and and when we do that, to receive the forgiveness of Christ for that.
0: Yeah, that, that we would know, rather than trying to justify ourselves, that I, I would try to say, well, I didn't break the sixth commandment because I didn't commit the mm-hmm. physical action. Christ had mm-hmm. said would have us to confess the fullness of our sin in order that he would bestow upon us the fullness of his forgiveness. And, and as you said, we, we do this very well in, in our, our services when we confess our, our thoughts, words, and deeds. Or, or in uh, the, the older, older version that I, a poor, miserable sinner, we confess who we are mm-hmm. first, that, mm-hmm. that matter of the heart that you said. Not just what we did, thought, and, and said, but also that this is who we are. It's coming out of my heart, and I need, I need forgiveness for that too, and, and so graciously. Through the absolution, Christ bestows that upon us. It, it, it really is, I mean, we need this preaching of the law, because if, and this is would be the second use that we're talking about now, where where the law comes to us and, and just convicts us, so that Christ can come in the gospel and, and raise us to new life. Any, any more on that, Pastor Bart, before we move on to, to what Jesus says next?
1: Well, well, the right hand, the right eye and the right hand, uh, these are yes. words that that I think make us cringe. Uh, is, is Jesus is Jesus using hyperbole? Is he is he using such exaggeration that, that these can't possibly be taken uh, literally? I think the best way for us to understand this is to is to realize that he's saying there is a real danger in in any sin, thoughts, desires, words, or deeds, and and the danger is finally and ultimately uh, damnation. It is separation from the Holy God. Our sins condemn us. They do. And, And to shrug our shoulders at them, to wink, wink, nudge, nudge, and say, well, it wasn't a big sin. It wasn't ever acted out. It was only in my heart. He says, but your eye and your hand they would do that. So understand that it is better for you to have an amputation than that your body be in the hell of in the hell of fire that was previously in this in this section of the Sermon on the Mount and Gehenna, than, than to be a part of the eternal kingdom of God. Take sin seriously. Take it take it seriously as an individual as a follower of Christ take it seriously as the church uh, speak speak law but follow that law that harsh law with the sweetness of the gospel of salvation that is freeing and life-giving. Mm-hmm.
0: So uh, just to, to summarize because I, I do want I want to dig into these verses just a little bit because I, I think it, they're important for a couple reasons but but the way that, that you're saying we should understand these things then is that the thrust of what Jesus is saying, take sin seriously do what needs to be done so that when it comes down to the end you are not left out of the kingdom of god whatever whatever measures you need to take to prevent that sin from ruling you and excluding you from the kingdom of god do that i mean that that's the essential thrust that jesus is saying to the point that he doesn't really want you to gouge out your eye or he doesn't literally want you to cut off your hand, right? Right. So here's, here's the, the question then, and, and this maybe gets beyond a little bit of what Jesus is doing here particularly, but I think it's an important fr- question for us to consider we would say very clearly here that Jesus does not literally want you to gouge out your eye or cut off your hand. And we, we know that from, for example, I mean, church history, none of the apostles did this, so it seems that that's a good understanding. We would take what Jesus is saying as hyperbole, great exaggeration, to make a, a point. The question I want you to talk a little about, Pastor Bars, is, well, how do we know that that's the right way to read this text? And, and why don't we get to apply that reading to other texts, say, uh, the Lord's Supper, the Words of Institution? Maybe, maybe some, would, some would look at those words and say, well, well look, you Lutherans, you, you said that that was figurative language. Why can't we read this figurative? So can, take us into that question of, of interpretation. Why, why are we right in saying it's hyperbole here, but in another place, for example, the Words of Institution, it's not hyperbole there?
1: Well, that's a great question, and it's not a it's not a simple answer. Just to say, well, it is. That's that's why. <laughs> <laughs> but but it but it is it is that scripture interpret scripture. One of one of our primary uh, principles of reading God's word is is to look across all of scripture and say, how is this appropriately consistent with, or how is it how is it described differently? How is it? Not necessarily contradicted, but how is it clarified in another place? Perhaps, perhaps the uh, the language of of even that the sacrifices. Uh, I'm not trying to stretch here, but I'm but I'm looking at at the language of of scripture, especially in the New Testament book of Hebrews, that that everything that Christ has done and He has become as priest as sacrifice. Is is once for all, and and what these could look like, what these actions could look like, are my sacrifice of my eye or my hand is what is going to make this right. It turns us, it turns us to Christ is is what it does. It turns us to the one who is the full and complete sacrifice. The language that Jesus uses here, uh, not just about the eye and the hand, but he uses a, a word that we would, if we transliterated it, we would say it, it scandalizes us. And he uses that word when it says, when he says, if, it, if your right eye scandalizes you, if it causes you to sin or to stumble, then, then get rid of it. And, and the same language will be used, much the same language will be used by Paul in some of his letters when, when he says that Christ is the one that we stumble over. And, and maybe this is how we can help others understand this is one of those law gospel distinctions that this portion of law will lead us to the one that we, that we are called to trust and believe in, not to stumble over the rock of offense, but to know that for this sin as well, for sins of my eyes and sins of my hands and sins of my heart and sins of my mouth, all these sins. Christ is sufficient. His sacrifice on the cross has paid for each and every one of them.
0: I think that the answer you gave is, is a good one, that we, we know that this is the way we should take this text because of the text. That I mean, that's what, what you... Scripture interprets Scripture. And so the, the words that the Lord gives us in the Scriptures... Will guide us into that interpretation. And, and here it's it's pretty evident with the way that Jesus speaks. He even even just previously, before he starts talking about your right eye or your hand being cut off, he gets to the heart of the matter, that adultery happens first in the heart. And and that's really the problem. The the hand and the eye. That's the the symptom of what's happened in the heart. And elsewhere in the scriptures, we know what the solution to my sinful heart is. It's that I need a, a new heart. We sing this in the liturgy. Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, O God. The prophet Ezekiel uses similar language of a, a stone heart being replaced with a heart of flesh. This is God's work. And it happens not through some sort of surgery that a doctor would perform, but it happens rather through the work of the Lord in his, by his Holy Spirit, through his Word, as he as he convicts us of our sin, as, as you said, and he he points us to Christ, and and that sort of language that we see here present in, in Matthew chapter five, well, that's just not present. For example, in in the one I brought up, that the words of institution don't have any of that kind of language. That that there the text invites us to take Jesus at his word, to believe it's his body. And his blood. So I appreciate your your indulgence of, of taking down that, that slight rabbit trail of interpretation just so that for the sake of our listeners, so that when a question like that maybe comes up, we're, we're prepared to give an answer. You're listening to to Sharper Iron here on Worldwide K. If you are, we're gonna take a short break, but we'll be right back. Please stick around. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. On this Thursday, January 23rd, we're looking at Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 37 with Pastor Mark Bars of Crown of Life Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas. Pastor Bars, prior to the break, we were looking at what Jesus says about adultery and lust. Any any concluding comments there on those verses before we move forward into what he says about divorce? Yes, but
1: just, just a few... Pieces I think that can help us have some greater not just understanding but appreciation for these words. We, we just before we took a little break, we were we were considering the, the plucking out the eye or cutting off the hand, and I, I this may this may this is hard for me to hear. It's hard to say, but that's a small thing. It is it is a transitory thing. It is it is impermanent. But to have to lose one's whole resurrected body, that's the promise that we are given, or to, to be cast apart from, from God for eternity, I think that's what part of the contrast that, that Jesus wants us to hold on to. Look at, the, look at the gift and look at the treasure and look at the promise of, of the body in all eternity. A second thing is this whole matter of where does sin begin, but where does purity begin? That, that purity begins in the heart, and, and then it's shown in actions, and, and it may be shown in the restraint of actions. I mean, the focus here seems to be, and, and it clearly is, what is a sinful thought and a desire in my heart, but, but where, does, where does purity Begin. Uh, you used the verse from Psalm 51 a while ago as well, when David prays, "Create in me a clean heart, O God." And, and lastly, and this this just struck me when I was pondering these verses and looking these over in the last few days is is we turn our eyes toward something in when we are tempted, but but we are called to turn our eyes and. And just think physically how this works. If I turn my eyes, I often have to turn my neck and my head, right? I can't just glance off to the side. Sometimes if I'm I'm driving, that's the better thing to do is just to glance off to the side. Uh, but, But where do we turn them toward? Well, we turn them toward the cross. We turn them toward the one who says, this is my sacrifice for you. So not just a turning away, but a turning toward.
0: A very helpful reminder, especially, again, to keep this not from being just good moral teaching, but a a reminder of where our our salvation lies, in in Christ and him crucified. So Jesus then continues with the the next section, as it was also said, and he brings up the matter of divorce, which, at least in my mind, is still connected to the Sixth Commandment, but Jesus, and it is, but Jesus doesn't quote the Sixth Commandment when it comes to divorce. He, he quotes something else. So, so Pastor Bars, what, what's going on here as Jesus now turns to the topic of divorce in verses 31 and 32?
1: Well, in my initial comments, in our initial conversation, we were talking about the, the, the Sermon on the Mount, but particularly this section, how Jesus is contrasting not simply uh, the Mosaic word or revelation, but very often, and, and this much more particular, this section much more particularly, is he's pointing to what the people have heard the rabbis say. And, and sometimes it's not just what the rabbis say, but it's what the rabbis say about what another rabbi said, who said something about what another rabbi said. And, and the teaching, and without, without taking this to an extreme, is really between two different Schools of of rabbis. Um, one is called Shammai, and one is called uh, Hillel, and they disagree. Uh, the The teaching is in essence that uh, the school of Shammai says, "Well, when when it says you're not allowed to divorce except for uh, sexual unfaithfulness, that's it. That's the only. That's the only option." And yet. The other has made it a much looser, broader understanding, where they have said, "Well, not there. There could be many other reasons. In fact, in fact, it could even be that if your wife has has not uh, pleased you in some way, that it's not just a sexual issue. She's been unfaithful, uh, but it, any matter could be allowed. So, so what Jesus is speaking to." is is reminding them and calling them back to God's intention, God's design. I, I love this I love this line and, I, and I'm borrowing it from somewhere else so I'm, I'm not that original. Sometimes we say that that this is a marriage made in heaven and, and that's not what Jesus is saying that oh, this is a marriage made in heaven, but Jesus does say that marriage is made in heaven, that This is the design of our creator, first for Adam and Eve, and and still the design for his creation. Whether whether they are Christians or not, it is still God's design for his creation. And and as we could go in so many different directions, it is such a picture of the bride, the church, and her bridegroom, the bridegroom who gives his life for the church. But, But what is the backstory here? For the hearers, the original first century Hearers of Jesus Is that well which is it is, Are there no exceptions Is there only the one exception uh, That is given here That Jesus speaks of in the text as well Except on the grounds of sexual immorality Or is it Pretty much anything goes And the more things change The more they stay the same In, in our culture Sadly uh, Even within the life Of the Christian church Uh, Divorce is much Too frequent And While yes it is sometimes Because of Sexual unfaithfulness on the part Of a husband or of a wife uh, There are just people who Get tired of each Other uh, whatever they say about It They, they fall out of love Just as they contended that they had Fallen into love God who said, I made marriage. I made marriage. It is my gift. It's calling us to hold to marriage and to honor marriage. And one of the things that I know you say as a pastor as well, uh, that that the Sixth Commandment doesn't just apply to married people. It applies to people of all ages, all stages, um, single, younger, older, married, it, it applies to all of us, and that we all are called to honor marriage. You see, the writer to the Hebrews says that, says that in chapter 13. Let marriage be honored by all within the church, not just by those, not just by those who are married. That's that's a broad background behind behind this. Some of which is directly their own experience. You have heard, you have heard that it's been said. It was also said, but I say to you, I myself say to you. Jesus says, this is what is really the intention of God. Even though divorce can be allowed on the ground of sexual immorality, but to stay in the covenant, in the relationship, which God has given and which God has promised to bless.
0: So, so Jesus, it seems, would rise above this debate that was happening in his day to, again, speak with his divine authority for God's intention for marriage. This is certainly not Jesus only teaching on marriage coming up in a month or two. I don't know exactly where he's on the calendar, but Matthew chapter 19, he's going to be confronted by some Pharisees with a very similar question. He's going to go, go in a little more depth and, and lay out a more more background when it comes to marriage. But but again, he's speaking here with divine authority concerning what God's intention for marriage is. And, and Pastor Bars, you brought up the the situation that we find ourselves in today. This sounds like a very hard word. What do we do as the church, as as Christians in preaching and teaching this word today, the desire to be salt and light in the world, the desire to to live in, in repentance and faith? How do we how do we take this this word today and, and make use of it as Christians when it seems that so much of our world and even within the church is very, very far away from it?
1: One of one of the aspects of pastoral ministry is that you and I are not allowed to speak of certain situations and conversations uh, that we, we have had. Uh, we, we're not allowed to. We don't share them with our wives. Uh, we don't share them with our elders. We ser- ser- certainly don't share them in the radio broadcast of Sharper Truth. Um, Sharper Iron. We don't. We don't. We don't have that. We don't have that option. For sure. Have for sure. Seen a marriage that that to observe the the brokenness, uh, the hurt, the sexual unfaithfulness on the part of one or the other, and to see a marriage restored, to see a marriage become even stronger than it was, not because two people just gritted their teeth and said we're going to stick this out for the sake of the kids, but because they confessed their sin to each other. They confessed their sin to God, and they heard and they received his forgiveness. That is one of the greatest joys to observe that. And, and as, I, as I've said, God still does miracles because you can't take credit for it, and I can't take credit for it. But, but God does a miracle when he recreates when he recreates a marriage and he does and he does now do i do i wish that sometimes we could put those people out in front of everybody and say see what god did <laughs> um, and is that would that help encourage others maybe it, maybe it would but to talk about it as i've just tried to do uh, imagining remembering not imagining remembering some pastoral care and situations over the years of my ministry, it it is one of the great, great blessings of God.
0: And and I think what, what that answer does for us is it, it does point us to the way forward. The way for, there's not some sort of silver bullet that, that's going to to do the trick other other than to say Faithfulness to God's word. God, God's word is what works the miracles that you're talking about. That's how Jesus is going to conclude his Sermon Absolutely. on the Mount in chapter seven, that that those who would be wise would build their lives upon his word, what he says. And and that that's the way forward, which is not an easy way. It, it's the way of the cross. Again, keeping our eyes focused on where Christ is headed to to redeem us from the sins that we commit against all the things that He's laying out. That's where He goes. And, and now as his forgiven people, we follow him in that way. And, and so the I mean the way forward is and not to sound cliche, but but this is this is the answer is to listen to his word with repentance and faith. and and that I mean that that's the answer. And it sounds simple. It's difficult. It's the way of the cross, but it is the way that Christ has, has called us and 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 who he's made us to be, right? He said blessed are the poor in spirit theirs is the kingdom of heaven he declared you are the salt of the earth you are the light of the world he's working these things in us even as we return to him in repentance and faith over and over again he's he's working these things in us and so a, a clinging to his word that I, I think that that's the way forward and I think that's what your what your answer points us toward. it is
1: it is absolutely pastor Apple absolutely. So here's so, here's what go ahead go ahead what, a little. Here's what I find interesting too about this section of the Sermon on the mount. It is the gospel of Matthew alone who includes the story of Joseph, what, back in chapter one, who who is considering how to respond to Mary, what he has either heard from Mary or heard about Mary, and has in mind to divorce her quietly. It, it, it really is what what the the law of Hillel would have allowed and said well of course and maybe even the school of Shammai who said well the evidence seems pretty strong that she's carrying a child she must have been she must have been unfaithful and and yet god through an angel in a dream tells joseph the story you're hearing down at the lumberyard in Nazareth is not the right story this is the right story and and he takes her home as his wife that had no union with her, important ending of, of uh, chapter 1 of Matthew. It's why we confess in the Creed he, that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and yet born of the Virgin Mary. But, but this is a real story. This is not an, this is not an abstract. When, when Jesus speaks this in the Sermon on the Mount, we don't know if Joseph was there. We don't know if Joseph was still alive. We don't know if others had said, Oh yeah, we've heard that we've heard that about what Joseph could have done to give her a certificate of divorce. It's not the direct language of that in chapter one of Matthew, but that's that's what he would have done. Hmm.
0: So then Joseph, I mean just so I'm making the connection, Joseph then would serve as a, and as an example of sorts of, of what Jesus is ta- of, Joseph would be the salt and light that Jesus is talking about mm. here in Matthew 5. Is that that the point we want to make there?
1: Well, wonderfully, uh, not not by his own, not by his own working it out, though, right? He, he finally right. needed God to speak to him and say, "This is this is the true story, and and this is what and this is what you will do." There's there's uh, um, this just this just comes to mind. There is a, a a poem that I read years and years ago that is about the woman caught in adultery who is brought mm. to Jesus and And uh, the poem uh, makes the connection between uh, in its in its rather uh, it's not it's not says line by line, but it says was this what could have happened to Mary back in Nazareth? Is that accused of adultery? And then where is the man? And that Joseph became the man who stood next to her, who took her shame in the community, that there was no real shame, but her, took her shame from the wagging tongues of the community in Nazareth and, and, made, it, and made it his own, A- and how good it is. And, and I'm not stretching to find gospel in all of this, but it's, it's all over the place, that, that our Lord takes that shame, and, and he takes it to the cross, and he takes all that we have um, true shame over true sin and takes it to the cross for us.
0: Jesus then continues in the Sermon on the Mount. It seems like we leave maybe the heavy topics, but but this is still serious. So we've, we've got just about nine minutes left here, Pastor Bars, to talk about what Jesus says about oaths. And again, mm-hmm. where the matter of murder and adultery, these are these are commandments that we know. Divorce was was now digging in more to that, that matter of what was being taught in the first century. What's going on with, with what Jesus brings up about you've heard that was said concerning swearing and oaths?
1: Well, some of it is very similar. Uh, scholars would help us understand that what had happened in uh, rabbinical Judaism at the time of Christ was that uh, oaths were, were taken and, and made, and, and yet what was also done is that there was a, maybe, maybe this isn't the best way to describe it, but there was a ranking of them. Well, that's a more serious oath. If you make that oath, then you should invoke God's name. But for a lesser oath, why does Jesus use these specifics and say, well, don't simply, do not not swear at all, and you swear by heaven. Oh, well, you can't swear by God directly. The whole issue, excuse me, in, in much of Judaism was how they used and didn't use the name, the name of God, the name Yahweh. How they wouldn't even say it. Well, you don't swear by God then, but you swear by heaven, which is God's throne. You swear by the earth, it's part of God's creation, it's His footstool. You swear by Jerusalem, it is the city of the great King of, clearly, of, of God Himself. It is His, it is His capital city. It's the place where so much happens in the whole salvation story, and. And yet Jesus, Jesus is saying, these are all uh, obfuscations. These are all those, just w- the way you've done with divorce just a few verses before, you've said, well, it would be okay for this. It would be, it would be allowable under these circumstances. You've, you've taken uh, what, is, what is meant to be the honorable use of words and, when appropriate, and, and this is a this is a challenging issue too. It's challenging in our in our modern time. I don't know if you, Pastor Apple, have been in a in a courtroom. Um, I have, and uh, when you are asked to swear or to affirm that you will tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, I mean, how do we how do we look at that? Do you quote Do you quote Matthew five back at the judge and say, uh, "My yes will be yes, and my no will be no"? <laughs> is that is that the language that they would? that they would expect and respond positively, but that wasn't the question I asked you. The, they, they do allow you, and this is, this is interesting, they do allow you to swear or to affirm. So if, if, if you and I might say, and I think there's some, there's some, some ways in which Christians may have, uh, but in their conscience and in their understanding of this, say, I, I will affirm. I will affirm that. I know our catechism deals with that. Our small the explanation of the small catechism tries to help us understand some of the practical issues that may arise. What does a what does a military officer do or anyone who has sworn into the military? What are, are they are they taking an oath? And the answer is yes they are. Uh, police officers, public servants, those those inaugurated or elected and and set into certain public offices, take take those oaths. How did Christians respond? How did Christians respond to that? The backstory once more is that they were saying they were trivializing oaths by giving them this this ranking or this hierarchy. And Jesus needs to say to them, look, you think that you can decide what's a true oath and what is a lesser oath you even think that you can swear by yourself as though really you have the power to turn some hair white and some hair black say yes or say no
0: so the the reason then that these things would come from evil is because of it sounds like the idolatrous nature of what's of what's happening right i mean that so that you know, you're you're attributing some sort of power to yourself by, by swearing mm, by yeah. your own head, or or you're right. attributing some sort of divine authority to to heaven or earth or Jerusalem, which in reality all belong to God. And so there, there it's like that there's a matter of idolatry going on. And so and maybe that helps us answer a, a little bit of some of the, the questions you've posed in terms of, well, is it okay for a Christian to take an oath today? And even you brought up the, the explanation of the small catechism in the in the synodical version, you know, the back of the, the catechism, Luther deals with this in his large catechism, too, and, and says, and this is a note in the, the Lutheran Study Bible, he says, we are not to swear in support of evil, that is to support falsehood or to swear when there is no need or use. He says, though, we should swear, we should swear for the support of good and of the advantage of our neighbor so that Jesus isn't, and this is maybe a point we can make about of this whole section here of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is not doing case law. He's not, He's not mm, saying right. in this situation, do this, in that situation, do that. He's he's being much more general and, and laying out this is what's behind it all, this is the true teaching from God's word. How it applies on a case by case basis, he may not be doing that here, but he is he's getting at, at what lies behind it all. And and just you know, to to throw some of these things out there, Jesus does take an oath later in Matthew's gospel. Paul allows Correct. himself to be yes, put under does. oath. So, again, that's where, we're, going back to a little of our conversation earlier, the text itself, right, Scripture inter- interpret Scripture, the text invites us to look at it in this way, that he's not doing case law here, but laying out something something bigger. Uh, Pastor Bars, we've got, we've got three minutes left on the morning here. Uh, feel free to respond to any of that with the oaths. But I, if, if you've got sort of a, we've talked about a variety of things with, with adultery, divorce, oaths. Sort of maybe if if you can sort of wrap those together and, and give us some more of that that overarching nature of, of what Jesus is doing, point us back to Him and, and His cross. Help help us bring this morning to a close. Sure.
1: Well, in these last words, in this last section on oaths, uh, I, I it compels me to ponder what promises has has God made. Uh, the the wonderful The wonderful language of Second uh, Corinthians chapter one verse twenty that all the promises of God find their yes. In Him, in Christ, in Paul writing to uh, to Timothy and so to the church in in the second Second Timothy chapter two, he says, "If we are faithless, He remains faithful, because He cannot deny Himself." The promises, the the oaths that that He has made. Titus chapter one. As we've not, we're not far uh, from from Christmas. We heard some words from Titus at, at Christmas tide, but. Uh, Paul writes to Titus and says, which God who never lies promised before the ages began in, in making and in keeping his promise of salvation. When, when we talk about our oaths and our promises, uh, they pale against the great, the great promises of, of our God made true in Christ his Son. Well, this whole section and, this, and the Sermon on the Mount, this section as you're going to continue on tomorrow and in the coming days, is really saying, let your light shine uh, Christ is, is instructing and, and opening up new ways for his people, his disciples, to let their light shine in an unsavory and, and dark world, to live out their new identity as people of the kingdom. And, and what good news it is, Pastor Apple, for you and for me and for all those who are listening, that Christ Jesus is the law keeper. He kept the law perfectly. He knew no sin, and he is the one who makes us free all of us who stumble in lust, in selfishness, in idolatry, with eyes and hands and mouths, Christ is the one who sets us free. That's good news today, that's good news every day.
0: Pastor Mark Bars is the pastor at Crown of Life Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas, helping us this morning with Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 37. Pastor Bars, thank you so much for your time today.
1: You are very welcome.
0: You have heard that it was said, but I say to you, Jesus speaks his authoritative word. He lays out what it looks like for his disciples to be salt and light, how often we fall short. And yet our Lord Jesus Christ comes to us. He rescues us, he frees us by his death and resurrection. And he sets us as that city on a hill, as the light of the world. Through his spirit, he works these things in us that we might continue to come back to him in repentance and faith looking to his word for our very life in all ways. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithfield, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.